Hi, everyone. My name is Melanie Pitsy. I'm the CEO of the GPA. And I'm Tiffany Appleby, SVP of Alliances and Marketing at Amidas. And you're listening to the Humans of Payroll podcast. We love the payroll industry and the talented people within it. In each episode, we'll introduce you to another fantastic payroll person who will share their expertise and personal experiences. So, hey, Tiffany, shall we get going? Let's get going. Hi, Tiffany. How are you doing? Hi, Mel. Doing well. Excited to be back for another season of the Humans of Payroll podcast. I'm uh, so excited. It feels like forever since we last um, recorded one, but really excited that we have Lee McIntyre Hamilton uh, with us today. Um, again, another person that I have known for many, many years. And every time I speak to Lee, there's always something new and exciting that I find out about Lee. So I'm sure over the next few minutes, um, I'm going to find out even more stuff about Lee. So welcome, Lee. Hi, Mel. How are you doing? Hi, Tiffany. Uh, good to be on the podcast and uh, yeah I'm glad you find tax exciting that's all I can say (laughs) (laughs) well I'm sure most people find tax exciting Lee yeah except when it comes out of their pocket and uh, reduces their wage bill and all but (laughs) hey-ho so Lee how how did you actually um, get into the tax and global mobility arena how did it all start for you so uh, I suppose a little bit like many people with their careers, a little bit by accident. I originally wanted to be an Air Force pilot, which is a little bit different. Uh, And I uh, learned to fly with the Royal Air Force at university over three years. And my dad was in the Air Force, so it was always like a a childhood ambition. Um, But unfortunately, back then in 1996, it was against the law to be gay in the Air Force. Uh, or at least against Air Force regulations. And so, yeah, for me at that point, it was a a non-choice. And then I was casting around because I loved international. We'd moved around as kids. We'd lived in Sardinia, uh, uh, overseas. Uh, So we were always moving from one place to another. And I was fascinated by the international arena and, you know, uh, overseas cultures and, and so on. So I was kind of casting around for that. I'd done a degree in economics, um, uh, and so I was kind of, you know, trying to think, well, you know, what can I do? I didn't really want to go into a straight finance role. I f- would find that too dry. I quite like people. Uh, and then this, I seen this advert and it came up for global mobility tax. or I think it was called International Assignment Services then at PwC in London. And I thought, wow, that looks interesting. Uh, so I applied and it was basically to do tax, it was a quite a new team at that time, and it was to do tax, but for HR people who were helping move their people around the world. So it kind of ticked a few boxes for me. And so then that was it. I uh, I moved down to London, I got the job, and became a trainee with PwC. I always love to hear the story that took you from like the ambition as a kiddo to, to where you are as an adult, because Interestingly, Mel, I don't think we've ever heard anyone say when they were a kid they wanted to go into tax or payroll. <laughs> so everyone has a really interesting journey. Yeah, definitely. It's and, and, and it's one of those things, I think, certainly as you move into adulthood, it's what feels comfortable. And I don't think you're right. I don't think you kind of automatically, it's not up there on the things as a child that uh, you think you want to be. You know, you want to be a train driver, 
uh, I wanted to be a priest at one point, weirdly, um, a pilot or whatever, because they're high profile things that people talk about every day. And I think because payroll doesn't, it's not the kind of thing people mention over the dinner table normally, except if you're Mel, of course. Um, and so I just don't think it's got that profile for people growing up. But I think it, when you get into it, it ticks a lot of boxes for lots of people, you know, in terms of what their own skill sets are, what they like doing and so on. So I think it emerges as a career for most people, what I've kind of seen. So, so Lee, sorry, just to go mm. back on what you train, sirs. Can you fly? Yeah. Can you fly? Did you actually learn to fly? Yeah, we flew. Um, uh, uh, I was trained on Bulldog T Mark 10s. They're now decommissioned. So they were two seater uh, air training aircraft with the Air Force. So yeah, I did, I think it was over 100 hours of flying, um, about 15 hours of solo flying. Um, so yeah, I did, I was quite far advanced into what they would call basic flying training at that point. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, lo- I, I, I loved it. You know, it was a big confidence booster for somebody who was like 18 and being given the responsibility of flying around an Air Force base alone when there's fighter jets spinning around, you know, with people doing a lot more serious things than I was. So, yeah, it was, I really enjoyed it, you know, and, you know, it had had things turn out differently. I might have gone down that path. But that said, I think years looking back, I, one of my personality traits is I, I do hate being told what to do um, by anyone. And so that's probably not great to, to have as a kind of, you know, trait in, in, in the forces long term. Isn't that? Could be a bit that- limiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And there isn't much requirement for creativity and uh, individual thought and so on. So, yeah, you know, looking back, it probably was the right thing. And I think that that also relates to the payroll discussion that we were having about careers, that, you know, you have your kind of childhood dreams and so on, but then your adult self emerges. And I think you then, you you, you, you revise some of those ambitions, I guess. You know, there's some of those conversations that we have and um within the payroll industry, people that aren't in payroll don't really understand what payroll is all about. Um yeah. even, even people within finance don't necessarily understand or HR understand the whole process of a payroll person. On the on the international side, global mobility side, do people understand that more so, or does it still have sort of like a similar um stigma attached to to it? A stigma, my, that's a strong word. I've never, <laughs> a payroll stigma. What, 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 what would you call it? Maybe it's a stigma. You know. um, I, I just, I, I think it does. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, and the, the, for me, the proof of that pudding is speaking to mum and dad over, I mean, I've been doing this for 23 years and my mom will still say, so so is that is that what you do? Are you doing that? Are you involved in that? And I'll say, well, not quite. It's a bit similar. And, and they'll send me things to this day. I was sent something this morning by my sister on pension funds and whether she should invest. And um, because she says, you do that kind of thing, don't you? And I was like, well, not really. <laughs> in fact, not at all. But there we go. Um, so you're right. Um, and I think again, it suffers from, well, it's it's something that people every day don't come across it's not every day you're going to need an international tax advisor it is uh in many ways a niche audience i think payroll a bit more it affects a lot more people obviously but once you get into the world of work uh, i think that's the first time you really properly experience payroll i guess 
Yeah. And how have you seen maybe even the knowledge of, or just the industry altogether thinking about global mobility change coming out of COVID? Because we see, at least from our perspective, a lot more mobility happening and people moving around um, in the post-COVID world. But being in the seat, do you see the same thing? Oh, the, I mean, these are interesting times. And I think COVID in many ways, like in many areas, kind of acted like a catalyst for trends that were already there. So, I mean, uh, I don't have the stats to hand, but the for example, the, the amount of short-term business visits, people flying from one place to another for a couple of days and going back to their home country. In the UK, that's significantly dropped, obviously, during COVID, but it's maintained its low level. And I, I did hear somebody talking about, well, you know, people are reflecting on the fact that actually during COVID, they, they realised they could they didn't actually need to go to France to have it for two days. They could do a call. Um, so I think some of those decisions have been made in businesses where they've thought, well, is it right that we send people for short periods to work in another country or or to visit an office you know in some cases it's necessary but not always I think tied with that and a thing that I find really interesting is um is sustainability so you know and cost so at a time when businesses are cash strapped but also then when there's now concerns for the planet and employees are certainly more conscious of all this um uh, that organizations are well again do, if you've got a thousand employees and you've got 200 people traveling around that's a lot of fuel being burnt uh, and, and and is it necessary so 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 that side of it i've seen changing and i, and, and I do wonder whether short-term business visits cross-border physical visits that that is will continue to to kind of decline slightly um what i have seen exactly what you're seeing is is a morphing really of um uh, or, or the emergence of globally remote workers, you know, people working from other countries for employers that are located elsewhere. Now, globally remote workers have always been here. You know, they were here 20 years ago, but it might be one person in, I don't know, 10,000 or something. But the pandemic was just a huge proliferation of these, if these globally remote workers everywhere. And, you know, IT departments saying it can't be done data protection, people saying it can't be done, it's going to be too hard and difficult. Um, and, and I think the pandemic proved to many organisations that actually they could make this work under pressure, they made it work. And that's why I think it was really a catalyst. So for me, to answer your question, I, th I think the, the big change is globally remote work. I think the jobs going to people rather than people going to the jobs is going to become an ever-increasing trend, I think. Um, this is, sorry, it's a discussion that um, I was having I can't remember if it was this week or last week because it's all merging into one whole long week mm. um that there's a lot of talk about a global recession and people are offering jobs in countries that are maybe slightly cheaper for cost of living do you think that's a have you seen or do you think that's a thing at all or do you just think that it's just a general people are just moving around type of situation I must say, I haven't seen that. Um, uh, what I have seen is a lot of organisations wanting to uh, tip the hat, as it were, to globally remote working by by putting in place policies which allow staff to work overseas, say, one or, for example, two months a year. Um, and the reason they're doing that is because if you allow people to work from anywhere, as, as we've come across, Mel, it's, uh, it creates no end of issues for organizations it would be you could have a department managing it in some cases because you've got immigration to think about employment law tax overseas whether you create a corporate presence it, it would just be too much for organizations to do this for everybody 
Um, so in terms of the cost thing, it's, 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 it, I find that an interesting point because there are, I can't remember, 40 plus countries which are offering these uh, kind of short term visas for people to live overseas for a couple of years. And I think it's a great idea on their part, because why not attract you know, earners from you know, developed countries, for example, into places in the world which are less wealthy because it brings spend power to their economy and so on. And and also, I was musing over this when we were doing one of our kind of, you know, we were preparing for one of our LinkedIn Live sessions. That actually, it may actually be cheaper to for UK employers or US employers or anywhere to to employ people in that way because you've not got the home country social security costs, the local regulations, pension contributions. So it could actually be cheaper. So so there is definitely something in it, but I've not seen it being uh, taken up uh, on mass. Uh, and just to finish I, on that point, I, I, I think the reason for that just yet is the, the pandemic met so much churn anyway for so many employers and employees. And I think people are wanting a bit of calm now. To uh, and, and I think the idea that you then launch something else, which is like, yeah, OK, we're going to we're going to let you go and work in, in uh, I don't know, Barbados for three years, actually. It's a period, I think, of calm and trying to heal some things and, and so on. But I think it's a very, very interesting point. Yeah, it's really interesting. We definitely, first of all, if anyone's looking for volunteers, I would happily go work in Barbados yeah, for two or three years. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Um, <laughs> but I think as well, you know, we're also seeing this kind of, I think, identity crisis between companies of, are we going to allow work from home? Are we not going to allow work from home? We have all this, I think, in major factors, we have all this real office space, real estate sitting that we're paying for. So I think that's certainly weighing into decision making. But it's really exactly. interesting to see the difference of companies that are, you know, work from home a couple of days, work from the office the rest, and then everywhere, yeah. you know, on either side of that as well. Yeah, definitely. There's a whole uh, a panoply, I guess, of different uh, arrangements out there and I think organizations are still finding their feet with it frankly these things need time to settle and I, I'm also conscious of the fact that every industry is different you know if you run a retail business it's very difficult to allow your staff to work from home because you need to be there facing the customers and so you know we shouldn't forget that a lot of the uh, big parts of the economy just it's not it's a no-go really um uh, so, and, and I would I would hate if it became that like a privileged elite could work overseas because you're in a certain type of job or, or so on. I would hate if it became that, um, but I think it would be good, or or, or it, it is it is good that actually there's I think now uh, a shift in mindset to what there was in leadership from pre-pandemic, which was pretty much this will never work the IT won't work, it will mean teams start to disintegrate, uh, we'll lose relationships. And, you know, I, I think some of those things have been founded, but but many of them haven't. Um, so that's a good thing. Have you noticed, obviously, our, or our audiences from the payroll side, but have you mm. noticed that more and more payroll professionals are having to get involved with people like yourself and and your arena um, definitely sort of since the pandemic, or is it just something that's been going on before the pandemic? Well, I, I think the pandemic led to, for that reason, around globally remote workers, it led to 
I think a lot of organisations which never had before had to consider international to consider international and inevitably mm-hmm. especially in small companies and medium-sized companies the problem of what we do with globally remote workers has landed on payroll and HR so to that extent I've seen a lot more I guess queries from um, payroll and HR um, individuals within firms because they landed with a problem and it might be something you know I've come across one recently where a company UK based doesn't have any internationally mobile people is doesn't have any overseas companies and it says you know uh, and they come to me with the problem of well one of our employees now is, is now living in Italy and they want to stay there in fact they've been there for two and a half years what do we need to do and that's a big challenge for a small organization and expensive and there's a lot of complexity there can be done um, but it uh, yeah that's the change really another one I've seen is uh, a couple had been working in the UK and now they've returned they returned to their home country uh, in Poland during the, the, the pandemic and again have not come back and again that creates issues for the UK employer so I think payroll it's broadened the amount of people in payroll who are involved or, or touch kind of mobility as it were in its broadest sense. Um, but one thing um, that we've talked about um, on a number of occasions, so you, you've got more involved with our membership. And I think what's quite exciting, and you actually opened my eyes to it, that you're a part of our WhatsApp group. Um, mm. And one of the things that you noticed was like how how many different sorts of questions payroll people ask. And it was really interesting yeah. from your point of view to hear what you thought, because I, I knew it, but you actually brought it to my attention just to how complicated the payroll industry is now. It it, it really is. And, you know, working with yourself and, and GPA has, has equally done the same. You know, I've always worked with payroll over the years, but it's very much been on a, I'm going to deliver some advice and this is what the position is. And actually from a payroll point of view, this is what needs to happen. And I've worked with, payroll for implementation reasons but I've not seen much beyond that but you know working with with GPA and its members wow I mean you start to realize that payroll is like the hub for employment law for tax social security the interaction between cross-border tax social security rules and uh, and I had not realized pensions is the other you know so so I'd, I'd not realized that that the, the the kind of the diverse range of things that land on payroll's shoulders and payroll are expected to sort and find out um yeah so it's and i think it's a good thing and i think i've very i've really enjoyed you know i think i was you know to tell you the truth i might have said this to you before mel i was always a bit afraid of payroll um because you know in in a kind of professional sense just because it was always, you know, I was used to deadlines in tax, of course, but payroll deadlines were pretty like it was disaster if somebody didn't get paid. Um, you know, if you miss a payroll deadline, it's a big thing. Or, you know, it, one of your senior execs gets paid 10% of what they were supposed to be paid or whatever it might have been. So it was always like, yeah, utter respect like for, for payroll because and also because the processes were so rigid or, or are so rigid across all countries you have to have this form submitted in this way at this time and you know there's a lot there uh, to deal with and cope with so so yeah yeah I, I think and I think the whatsapp group you've got is great you know it it, it actually to, to 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 enable people to share those 
I mean, who's going to know what, what? I mean, there's questions on there about, you know, what are the employment uh, rights around pater maternity leave in Australia? And do I need to pay people six weeks? Or, I mean, I mean, who's going to know that, you know? And yet somebody pops up and said, yeah, I've dealt with that. <laughs> um, and I, think I love good, it. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like payroll Reddit. <laughs> yeah, crowdsourcing yeah, yeah. It's, it's, all things. It's exactly that. Yeah. Well, no, that's and great. it's funny, Lee. I I laughed when you said um, that you've been afraid of payroll because I bet we have a lot of listeners that are yeah. in payroll that are laughing, saying we're afraid of tax and global mobility yeah. and all of those things. So you know, thinking about you know global mobility specifically, mm. um, you know, for anyone that's listening that's thinking, gosh, my company has just started talking about, do we let people go work internationally, whether temporarily or um, permanently? And we haven't in the past, like, what's your advice for them? Where do they even start in thinking about, you know, how that would work for their employees? I, th I think at the very start, before before even thinking about, you know, how, how you'd operate in and put it together, I think it's working out what is the long term aim here? What is it we're trying to do as an organization? Uh, is are, are we going to allow this because we think it's going to help retain the people our people in the organization? Um, are we doing it because actually it's going to help us cut overhead? Or is it because we want to change the entire model of our business to be more, you know, a kind of more hybrid working? Uh, uh, kind of uh, outfit and I think just getting to the bottom of that and working it out is important at, at the beginning um, and and then I think in terms of getting it together then it's working out well what are your once you've done that really working out what your parameters are and I think parameters are really important for this um, during the pandemic uh, and I was very I, I was very cynical because I'd done a lot of global remote work just coincidentally with the non-profit sector because they were a sector which for decades have had thousands and thousands of people work remotely globally for UK and US organizations. So they were used to it. It's just nothing, you know, you, you have people working for US charities who are based in Ethiopia, working in the field from home and directing a campaign from there, for example. So I think um, the... Yeah, for, for those people, then it's it's it, it's really working out um, what the parameters are going to be because the work from anywhere, I think, is sounds great in principle, and there was a lot of clamour for that, I think, during the pandemic. But I couldn't find, and I even asked at some of the GPA sessions, said who has a work from anywhere policy, and there wasn't one company which said we were allowing that, and and I thought, well, that kind of confirms my uh understanding of it which is that it just would create too much complexity so parameters are important so you might define which countries are you going to allow people to go back to is it the only the home country that that individual is a national of that might be helpful in the sense that it potentially reduces the immigration burden because people normally automatically have the right to work and live in the country of which they're a national um conversely you might see that as a bit discriminatory because you know why just allow nationals to return to their home country? What happens if I'm a UK national, but I also want to live overseas? So it's thinking about that. It's thinking about duration, time. Um, you know, every country has uh, different rules in terms of when you trigger tax and social security and, uh, and payroll obligations and so on. But generally, and it's a broad generalization, but generally, obviously, the less time somebody spends in a country, the lower the risk in that regard. Um, uh, and 
and I think it's just getting together the bones of a policy. Then it's having it reviewed by by the specialists. Immigration, employment law, tax, I think, are probably the three key. And making sure that what you're putting forward is going to create too much organisational risk. On the flip side of that, I do want to say that you can never get away with zero risk in these scenarios. So it's about managing, you know, your risk. If you're going to have a policy which does allow people to work overseas indefinitely from an overseas country, that's a different ballgame. And that's the other decision. Are you going to allow people to do this forever? Because if you're doing it forever, then you are really making a commitment as an organisation to be compliant overseas as well as in your home country. And that's a big undertaking. I think you made a really good point early on around like why, right? And asking the question, why? Is it because you have a noisy employee that's Mm. senior that wants to go work in Barbados? We'll just, now everyone's going to want a holiday in Barbados when we get finished with this podcast. Um, (laughs) But like, like, why is it, how is it important to your organization? Do you find that um, the organizations you work with, is there a common denominator for why they're thinking about allowing employees to move? I do hear a lot about um, attracting employees. You mentioned earlier, um, employed jobs, the employees going to the job, right? And not the other way around. But do you hear like common reasons that organizations are exploring or expanding their allowance of work from anywhere? I mean, the common kind of scenario I have seen is is not actually a commercial one, but it's just what we do see when these things happen, which is that, you know, you get a few people who are vocal and want to do it. That then prompts HR to think we need to look at this. It then gets it put in front of the board, which says this is really important. Everyone else is doing it at the moment. We need to have a policy. It then goes back to HR and says, absolutely right, and this is what it could look like. So I think it's that kind of, you know, I'm generalising a little, but that if there's a common theme, that's it. Of course, there are organisations, and I do work with some organisations, which have a deliberate policy of uh, we don't we want to reduce our office overhead over the coming years. And so actually it suits our business to have people work overseas. But that's uh, not as common, really. So, so basically, we need to make some noise. We're all going to go on holiday to Barbados and yeah. then we'll stay there. <laughs> and then that will be yeah. it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I, I, and I did, it was funny, I was, I was uh, oh, for, our, for our Sweden gig on, on, on Friday, just plugging that, Mel, I don't know when this podcast going out, but um, we, uh, I was looking at, you know, the differences between global remote workers and digital nomads. And you know, digital nomads, I think, are an interesting category because these are the kind of people who kind of, they're not even global remote workers. I would, you, you know, they're people who will work for four months in one country, then they'll go to another country, then another country, another country. And uh, I think there's a lot of, you know, drive for that amongst, can I say the younger generations? I'm probably old enough to say that now. I'm definitely old enough to say that. Uh, I, I think there's interest uh, in some quarters for that kind of setup to travel the world whilst you're working. I mean, what a great idea if you're 21, 22, you, you know, why not? Um, I, I, but I, I think that, again, I've not seen, in fact, I've seen none of that in the employed arena just because it, for employers, it's a nightmare. I mean, how are you going to make sure somebody's complying for immigration across the seven countries that they work across in a year? You would just, uh, it would be no end of cost and and, and issues. So, yeah, but it, it's an interesting, uh, you know, uh, trend, I think, from the, the new generations coming through. 
What a wonderful opportunity, wouldn't it? If you could live your life again and be 21, 22 and live yeah. in the back of a, a van, travel the world and work, and then you'd be known as a digital nomad. I mean, like... Yeah. <laughs> it's know. backpacking through Europe, but as a profit yeah. center, not a cost center. So yeah. collecting the paycheck while you're working your way through. Just, yeah. it's, it's amazing. So, so basically, we've gone through. I know, obviously, COVID was awful for a lot of people mm. and a terrible time. And COVID's not over, is it? Just as yeah, I know, you know, just recently, uh, China had um, a res- resurgence of of it, and you know, luckily, it seems to be a bit quieter at the moment. But it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years, doesn't it? Because it, it feels like it's it's that's the change, isn't it? That's that seems to be the change of all how we work now. And and realistically, you know, there's flexible working. You know, you, if you want to hire the best people, I think you've got to offer flexible, flexible working and, you know, people working abroad or from home. It just seems to be like, well, we'll look back maybe in 10 years' time and go, this was the, the moment that the way we work has changed. I, I, I completely agree, Mel. I, I think in in ways that we haven't yet even foreseen, it will be seen as a, a turning point. And I think, you know, in our world, but also just more generally, I think, although, you know, business leaders obviously wouldn't say this, but I think it's changed the power balance a little uh, towards employees, uh, not just in where they work, but in a whole load of areas. And I think also the pandemic had the effect of, just changing people's mindset and that and you know it takes something profound like the pandemic and 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 all that it entailed for people to think including me so I have first-hand knowledge of this but people think you know I don't have to why am I living my life in this way why am I stressed at work and tied to this set hours and and you know targets and all these things why do I have to put up with that and because the pandemic I realized actually I can pretty much do the job I want to do myself from home, connecting with the people that I want to, wherever they are, and and the freedom that comes with that is is immense, you know. And and whether you're in an organisation or not, the freedom to kind of set your own agenda between what's work and what's not is is really empowering. I think great for mental health. It allows people to pursue other things that keep them happy and sane. So yeah, I I'm really uh, I think it's a great thing. Um, and that what the genie's out now, you know, it's not going to go back. I don't think. For sure, Lee. What's the fa- What's your favorite thing about what you do? What do you enjoy the most? Oh, well, I was thinking because I'm 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 a bit giddy with work at the moment because I I, I am really enjoy like I couldn't say this, you know, f- for all of my career, but I'm just really happy with things at the moment, and for me. It's having a variety of things and the autonomy to do what I want, when I want. Only constraints would be obviously delivering to clients and, and so on, which is is something which is I've done all my career. So I enjoy the variety of things, doing technical work, getting my papers out in the morning, reading through stuff, learning. So I'm always absorbing new stuff. I think that's great. I couldn't do that 24-7. So then I like to be out doing things like this or presenting. Or meeting people, you know, I, I worked recently with um, a really lovely retired couple who have come from Canada to relocate to the UK permanently, and they're just wonderful. And I, we took them out to lunch, and 
and listen to their life story and and you know, for me that's just so enriching and you know I love it really um yeah so so the variety I suppose and freedom is what it comes down to very cool yes your energy is definitely infectious like I'm sure Mel you felt it too like we can feel the energy that you have about what you do. It's funny when you were talking about that UK couple or the Canadian couple that moved yeah. to the UK. I don't know if you all have the House Hunters International program uh, there, <laughs> but it's an American TV program that mm-hmm. it's couples that are house hunting in the other parts of the world. I'm thinking you would be a good guest appearance on that show. You found a home. Now let's talk about your taxes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, yeah, who knows, you know, I, I, it's funny, doing what I do, inevitably, you you pick up and get asked a lot of other questions by people who are coming over, you know, it can start with tax, but then people say, oh, I'm moving to London, like, where do you think I should live? What's the best areas? And do you, do you know any good schools for kids? You know, so, so there's all these other things. And, and I think through that, I've then developed friendships, and I call them that because they are with other business professionals or people like Mel on the pale side but then I know people in the relocation industry who move people's cats and dogs and find homes and so on people who do immigration and uh yeah it's there's a whole field of things there which which uh yeah I suppose it's helpful to understand before you come to the UK or any any country really there's those little things that I find out about you and I just think every time every time I meet you there's like a little surprise so I'd like today I didn't know you could fly an airplane which is pretty right. amazing and there are actually within payroll there are quite a few people that fly airplanes that own payroll businesses so there's a little oh, thing really? there. yeah there is yeah, a little thing. the thing is the difference with me is that I learned the state paid for me to pay to fly and it was 20 <laughs> years ago so I'm not not in that category of somebody with a private unfortunately a private jet outside but yeah I, I, I'm know, still impressed <laughs> Oh, but I'm, I'm still impressed, Lee. But also on the other side. So fortunately, um, obviously, the, the Queen died um, last year and yeah. uh, we were talking and you shared with us that you'd met the Queen and the Duke yeah. of Edinburgh. Yeah, well, that was uh, when I was, uh, I must have been 17. And in every region, there's um, uh, an individual called the Lord Lieutenant who represents the monarchy in that or the queen and now the king in, in, in that region of the UK. So they had a Lord Lieutenant for Tynweir, which is where I live, the northeast of England, called Sir Ralph Carr Ellison. Um, and every year um, a, a cadet gets appointed. So that's a trainee, you know, uh, I was in the air cadets at the time, gets appointed to be the Lord Lieutenant's cadet and basically go with him when he meets royalty. So I applied and went through the selection and and was appointed as the cadet and um I didn't really know what it would mean I knew it was meeting royalty and so on but it, it was brilliant you know I just uh uh we lived in a little terraced house in North Shields and I used to get a car come and pick me up would take me to wherever the royalty were coming I met Princess Anne Princess Diana uh briefly um uh, who else was there uh the king and queen and then some of the minor rules can I call them that that's terrible isn't it um and 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 I loved it. So we just, you know, all I had to do was open doors and carry bags and things like that. But yeah, it was great. It was it was a bit of an anticlimax once I had finished my year, really. Um, but I met the king, uh, the 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 king, uh, the um, the queen, and uh, the Duke of Edinburgh on the Britannia when it was still around. They basically hosted a, a drinks reception 
on in Hartlepool in 1993. Uh, so I spent the evening there at those at the reception, and there's about 60 or 70 people there. Didn't get a chance to speak with the Queen, but I did speak with the Duke of Edinburgh, who was quite funny. So yeah. What a fantastic story and such a cool honor to be the one selected for that. That's incredible. Yeah, well, my mom, I mean, it was funny. The day I, we got uh, an invitation through from Buckingham Palace as well for the Royal Up Town, and she went, hey, there is a thing come through from the palace. What is it? You know, they're ripping it open, you know, and it was the card thing, you know. That, and, and yeah, it was just, it was great. And it, for me, you know, I was, uh, you know, uh, a working class kid from North Shields, Tyne and Weir. It opened my eyes to another side of life, um, you know, and how, you know, and I think you know, all through life, I think that's a good thing to kind of try and connect with other, I don't know, spheres of life, people who live differently to you, speak differently, um, have more money, have less money. You know, all those things I just find fascinating. Uh, I'm an eternal people watcher, people, uh, you know, I love it, really. What, a, what an amazing confidence boost. Do you think those experiences have set you up and sort of for future life? like for confidence and and work ethic and everything else? Uh, I, th- I, I, th- I think so, you know, certainly for just navigating the world um, because, and I'm going to make a kind of, you know, point about, you know, people who don't grow up in privileged environments and not, you know, I grew up in a good environment, but we just, you know, like many, many people in this country didn't have natural access to networks who could get me work in the city or um, put me through a you know a top school or or, or but uh, I was lucky I think because my parents were in the air force and they had that kind of insight into ah there's another world out there and this is you know they were very helpful and to me really in pushing me forward on those things not in a, a kind of pushy way but just encouraging it and pointing me in the right direction so I think yeah those experiences definitely help for me the help to connect with people because whenever you come across new people, you kind of got a stock of things to draw on from a variety of arenas. And I think that's, that for me, that's been the key help that, it, that if I'd just done one thing for 30 years that, you know, uh, it, it, you wouldn't have that kind of array of things to draw on. Um, but yeah, but, but just generally, I, I, I mean, that's me in life really. I don't do it for a planned thing. It's um, I, 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 I gen, you know, I just enjoy dipping my toe in, lots of things it has a downside though and it does you know I've uh, it I think especially when you are in hierarchy driven careers having been a dabbler as I am in lots of different things and enjoying lots of different things isn't necessarily always a good thing because uh, hierarchy is like focus and delivery around one thing and this is what your role is and we want you to do it and and I wasn't always necessarily going to neatly fit into those kind of boxes as it were but what a what a benefit for us, you know, for the for our community, you know. Um, I don't think everyone should fit into a norm. No, you know, I've been I've been called weird quite a few times, Lee, and a bit yeah. straight, and a bit, you know, a bit quirky, a bit eccentric, all sorts. <laughs> so maybe it, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. I think it is a good thing, and I agree. And and. Uh, Tiffany as well you 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 you've got interpersonal skills which have come from somewhere and can connect with people and I think that's a, a good thing you know and I, I agree on the quirky front Mel it's um you know 
the nice thing about quirkiness, you know, however you define that, uh, whether you are or not, is is that it. I think it it opens doors for other people who realise you don't have to be an, a part of a homogenous group to uh, to succeed, right? Um, you know, I, I think I forwarded a great advert for you. It wasn't a great advert; it was a terrible advert. But something that I, I seen on LinkedIn a while ago, Mel, which said, um, you know. Um, become the the top what did it say become the, the fittest ceo of your generation and it had a picture of a muscled man standing there you know in the armani suit you know looking over the horizon and i said hang on like who who says that a ceo has to be a six foot tall man in an armani suit who's incredibly good looking with muscles and do, do you know what i mean and and i think every time somebody changes the perception of that is a good thing I do too. And, you know, I think that that's, but I think that's such a benefit. And Mel, you were talking about this a bit though, about our industry, because it's not an industry that you decide from the time you're in grade school or secondary school that you want to be. And I think we all, every time I meet someone and every time uh, we have a guest on the podcast, like it's so interesting and there are things about everyone's backgrounds that I think make just the people within our profession just so fascinating. And there's something you learn from everything that you've done. So I think while while sometimes we think about like, oh gosh, like no one knows about payroll, no one knows about global mobility until yeah. you get later in life, it brings such a wealth of other experiences that we wouldn't have otherwise. Definitely, without a doubt. Uh, I, I, I think it's it's so true. And I think you're absolutely right with, you know, people will, if, and some people are not willing to release their, but, you know, their wider life in, in business context. And I can understand that. But, you know, when a little bit of digging, it's amazing what people have done with their lives and continue to do with their lives. And, and for me, I think, you know, and everyone is different, but I have heard it said, for example, that, you know, business is business and it's just a business really. And, and I think, you know, yes, of course that, to a certain extent, that is true. But the reality is we spend so much time at work, so much time connecting with people that enjoying that human dimension as well, it would be kind of remiss to not to do that, do you know, in my view anyway. It's, it's brought the, the three of us together, isn't it? Because yeah. I always think Tiffany should be presenting the news because she's got such a fantastic... Yeah. I don't know what I, I delivery real world and me <laughs> be a fighter pilot. So and it and it's brought the three of us together, isn't it? Really, and if isn't it yeah. sliding doors of that film? If we'd changed and and done something different, you know, yeah. we wouldn't have all all met. And yeah. I do think the industry is great because you think about all the different backgrounds that people come from: law, scientist, biologist. Um, you know, a fashion designer, um, Lee, potentially a, a pilot, you know, all these sort of stuff. And we've all ended up in the same industry. It's amazing, really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think the world's such a good place for that right now. I mean, never has there been a time on this earth when it's been so easy to connect with so many different people from so many different cultures, backgrounds and so on. I think that's a, a great thing. I mean, I have a funny story. I, I did an article a couple of years ago Um uh, on LinkedIn, they called it the the three P's: policy, process, and people. And I put it on LinkedIn, and uh, I got an email from somebody, um, Gayatri Panda. She won't mind me mentioning her, and she contacted me from India to say she'd read my article, 
she was coming across to the UK and could we meet up for a coffee because she was going to be doing an HR role. She didn't have a job at that point. And I thought, oh, yeah, absolutely. So we met up and she was just such an interesting, driven uh, young lady. And I thought, yeah, she's going to go places. And so we had a chat. She was at university at that point. And then we kind of kept in touch. And, and now she's founded her own UK business, helping Indian nationals relocate into the UK. Uh, and she helps them with jobs, career coaching and all these things. Um, but I would never met now. Now I'm still in touch with her. I would never have met Gayatri had it not been for that article and then having a coffee. And, you know, uh, now that the reality is we've done no business together, but it doesn't matter in a way. You know, it's it's been educational knowing her. And also, uh, I'm interested, you know, in what she's up to. I was at an event a couple of weeks ago and it was really weird because I I know I come across confident, but I can also be a bit shy as well. But um, a couple of people went, oh, my God, I follow you on LinkedIn. It's you type thing. And I was like, oh, thank you. You know, like, whatever. I didn't know what to say. I was like, thank you. And then there was somebody else went, oh, it's you, the person on LinkedIn. (laughs) 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 <laughs> but it just it just made me laugh because you're just thinking well this is the world we live in isn't it you might not like me because you don't like what I put on LinkedIn <laughs> so yeah but, um, but it's brilliant but isn't the, it it's a thing you're 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 so right I mean I don't know if you come across this Tiffany but you you have to kind of get over that some people will pretty much hate on you for any for, for stuff like whether they find it too boring or they just don't want to keep seeing your face you know it's but you can't help oh, that it's simple <laughs> as like oh I see you far too much on my feet or I don't see you enough <laughs> yeah. on my feet or yeah, yeah. yeah it's incredible it's incredible really the perceptions right that people have like negative or positive when you meet someone in real life but I love your story Lee about like making that connection that you wouldn't have made elsewhere and one of the things that we've talked about with a couple of our guests even is like Mm. the networking right and what amazing potential there is for learning just by connecting with other people that are in our industry that have had different experiences and like that's a great story for for that just speaks to that entirely yeah yeah absolutely and and I think it is well for me it it enriches working life at at its core um you know and, and in itself it has its own value therefore you know um I think sometimes we can get a bit, you know, of course, being commercial and generating money and, and so on is important. But that other bits, I think, personally, is really important as well. Well, I think we're coming to an end for today's podcast. And it's a really nice way to end it, I think. Don't you agree, Tiffany? I do agree. It's been so interesting learning more about you, Lee, and getting to see you again uh, in virtual world. Um, and hear about your experiences. So fascinating. So thank you for sharing with us and with our audience. My pleasure. And thank you. I had no idea what to expect today. And uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you both. The Humans of Payroll podcast is recorded in partnership with Amidis. Amidis is the leader in consolidated global payroll solutions, Processing payroll in over 150 countries, the Amidis platform provides a unified view of global payroll operations, real-time data analytics, and advanced reporting capability while ensuring legislative compliance 
and data security. Amidas's deep integration capabilities with HCM and finance providers dramatically simplifies multi-country payroll obligations.